So yeah, like that's where I, you know, <laughs> I look back on myself and I'm just like, damn, why did you spend so long feeling resentful about these things that did or didn't happen to you when you could have just like gotten over yourself and just pushed forward and, and started creating opportunities for yourself because they're, they're out there to be had. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human. This is a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. These are conversations with people from all walks of life, exploring their journeys and what makes them who they are. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Kat Elizabeth, who is the creator of The Personal Branding Project, a company where she helps coach professionals uh, with their visibility and authority online to kind of take their career up a level. Kat is also an actor and musical theater performer, uh, which I found interesting in the original Australian productions of Jersey Boys and Hairspray, two amazing musicals, as well as a bunch of other theater productions, films, TV shows. And Kat, <laughs> uh, I don't know how I stumbled upon your resume, but I noticed one of the special skills you have listed there is whip cracking. <laughs> Yes, that is and true. And I'm wondering, is that like Indiana Jones whip cracking or another type of whip cracking? Well, it was kind of like musical theater whip cracking. Like it's legit whip cracking. Like we had an actual trainer, but I actually had to use, learn it for the musical Hairspray. So one of the roles is a, uh, she's like a female authority figure, you know, in the jail. So, and she's like, uh, there's a bit of oh, I think kinky I do stuff. That. Like, yeah, they kind of play her up as being, uh, yeah, into all sorts of things. So she has a whip that she cracks to show her authority, and they wanted us to crack it for real, not just for show. So yeah, we had someone come in and train us how to crack whips, and and then that was it. I was like, great, I now know how to crack whips. <laughs> no, I've not used the skill since, but it looks really good on my resume, so I'm happy with that. It does. It really stands out. That was the first thing I noticed. And I'm like, whip cracking. I don't see that every day. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, so thinking about your, your uh, history as an actor and, and performer. And um, so one of the things that I noticed that really kind of drew me to, to you and your story and, and having you on the podcast was that six years ago, you're working full time as a musical theater performer Um and you mentioned that you started to have like crippling, crippling anxiety attacks. And what, I'm curious what, like what in your life was going on that was kind of causing those sort of anxiety attacks? I mean, I feel like it was, they were building up over time and it just got to a point where it, I wasn't able to even manage them anymore. And it was getting in the way of my job as a performer, which obviously like anxiety and trying to be like happy and, you know, energetic on stage, like it doesn't yeah, really go together. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think 2020 hindsight has always like revealed so much to me about how at the time when I first landed my dream job, I thought it was like the thing that was going to fix all of my problems, all of the insecurities that I had and the, the questions that I had about the world. I was like, it's all going to make sense once I'm doing my dream job. And it was the complete opposite that happened. It All it did was made me realize that this dream job that I thought was a dream was really just a day job. And it highlighted just, just how insecure and how lost I was. Like I really, I was putting all of my hopes and dreams into being a performer. And like my whole identity was wrapped up in being an actor, which so when I had 
a job <laughs> that was great because people asked me what I did and I was like, I'm an actor. But then it was when I was starting to try and get more acting jobs and I had times when I wasn't acting that I was like, ooh, who am I when I'm not an actor? So I think that was a little bit of what was going on. But I also had stuff going on in my personal life at the time where, yeah, I was in a relationship that was not going well. And as I was, you know, go like, I, I guess I was being exposed to like a whole different world, meeting cool people. And I was, you know, being sometimes treated sort of like a celebrity, like not full celebrity status, but still special treatment and being one of the special few. And then I had someone back at home who was not doing what they wanted to do with their life. And there was some resentment there as well. And I think me finally having this opportunity to do something pretty cool, definitely that created a bit of a divide um, between us as well. And so it felt like there was this bubbling stew (laughs) underneath where I was like, things are not going well. Um, And eventually it started to catch up with me. Yeah. I I feel like it rarely is just a specific moment in time. Mm -hmm. It's often anything is often built up over time. So that that makes total sense. Yeah. You, you call it the dream job and it became, or I mean, it felt like a day job Mm -hmm. was, was that a matter of like, you finally kind of achieved your dream and it turned out to just not be what you thought it was going to be, or was it just over time living the dream sort of became normal? Um, I mean, I think there was a bit of a wake up call, like within a few weeks of opening night, like the, the whole rehearsal process is, is magical because you, you like start bonding with these, these people that become your family and you're, you know, trying on costumes and getting measured and like, you've got tickets ready for opening night. And so there's a lot of that hype that, you know, you imagine that comes with being a performer, but then a few weeks after opening night, everyone kind of settled into their roles and, it kind of hit me that like, okay, now that you've got this, you now have to do the same thing eight times a week for the next year or more, which was like for a creative, you're like, what do you mean I have to do the same thing all day, every day, like without changing (laughs) a thing? Like it was such a strange, um, you know, reality check. And also you start to realize that the performing that you do on stage is such a small part of the job. And like anything else, it's like there's, the politics that go on around it. There's the relationships backstage and how people are getting on with each other. And there's some, you know, there's the FOMO because while you're in a show, you're not allowed to audition for anything else if you know you're not available. And so you see other people like with the shiny object, like you're like, oh, they're auditioning for that thing that I'd love to be in. I can't do it because I'm stuck in this thing. And which sounds like such a terrible thing to complain about because I was one of the few people in Australia, you know, full time in theater. But yeah, like everything that I thought it was going to be kind of was done very quickly in the rehearsal and like opening night type process. And then it just became this very mechanical thing of just like, you need to stay healthy. You can't have any evenings or weekends to yourself because that's when you do all of your performing. You're going to have Mondays off. And if we tell you to be on set at seven o'clock on Tuesday morning, um, you know, to, to do some publicity thing, you'd better be there and you better be like, on. (laughs) So it just like the realities really hit me very quickly. And I started to go, oh, wow, this, this money that they're paying us, it doesn't really quite compensate for the fact that I've given them my heart and my soul and my entire life. Um, it's, it doesn't seem that great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've always wondered that about actors doing the same 
thing, you know, kind of doing the same show every night, you know, six, seven, eight nights a week or eight shows a week because you got some matinees in there. And like, I guess the way you described it, dream job becomes, a, you know, kind of a day job. I, how do you, because I mean, your entire, what you're selling to the audience is a unique performance every single time. Like every single time I come, I'm seeing it for the first time and you have to deliver it for the first time, but it could be your 1,250th time. How do you even like, I guess straight up, how do you keep doing that? Like, how do you keep the first time coming? That just seems, I don't think I could do it. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. Like it becomes it, like when you are doing something that's fresh all the time, like if you're on set and you're, you know, you've got a new episode every time, the challenge is like how do I pick up this new thing and and you know, just like make it work with minimal rehearsal. It's literally the opposite with with musical theater for long-running shows in that you have to get yourself to this point of excitement and energy and pretending like you're experiencing every moment for the first time on stage so that you get to give this performance that, you know, is worthy of someone paying, you know, $170 for a ticket. Like that's a huge responsibility to know that you might be feeling terrible that night, but they paid the same amount of money as the people the night before. So you'd better, you know, you'd better be there. And so I had to go through and it ebbs and flows a lot, but, you know, I had to have like mind games for myself where I would like run through different scenarios in the lead up to a scene to try and see it a different way and make sure that I was feeling some fresh energy. Um, but then what's funny is like some nights I just wasn't feeling it and I was so embarrassed. Like I got off stage and I was like, that was terrible. Like that was so bad. And I'd have people come up to me afterwards, like in the cast, like, wow, you were so on tonight. That was amazing. And I was like, what, what do you mean? That was a terrible performance. <laughs> and then these the other same times, yeah, it was crazy. And I had the opposite. Like, so I was like so proud of myself because some nights I, I pulled out the tears for this like dramatic moment and I was feeling so on. No one said anything. And I was like, uh huh, maybe. <laughs> and this is like, this is one of the biggest, um, struggles of an actor because it's, it's the same when I do auditions. A lot of the time it's the auditions I feel like I tanked where I end up booking the job because what we think is, is, perfect and wonderful is not what the audience thinks is and it's like because we're often like as actors you want to be perfect you want to be polished everything just at the right timing but what makes acting interesting is when it's not in the right timing when it's rough when it's like a little bit flawed and so that's like this cycle that you go through to try and like not make it too perfect even though you want to be perfect and it's yeah it really it does your head in (laughs) (laughs) I, I think there's definitely a lot of truth to that because some of the best acting I feel like I've seen is when you don't feel like anyone's acting. Like it's just yeah. an actual, like to me, that's the ultimate when I go, see, especially live production is like when you just feel like you're at the dinner table with them or you're in the room with them and this is not a show I'm watching, but I'm actually in there. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, I, I totally get that. How how did you get into acting? Like, was this something from from childhood? Were you someone that early on was, you know, at three years old starting to sing or or dance or or act or is it something that happened later? I mean, the three-year-old thing, yes, but it's like <laughs> not that I was actually showing any potential at age three. I played a chicken um, that walked around pecking um, at the ground in a production of The Wizard of Oz. Um, but Wait, at age three, you played a chicken not, in Wizard yeah, of Oz? But it was like, it was the dance, like it was our dance studio's version. This is not a professional version. Like oh, okay. I, I, I waved my parents, like the second I, the like lighting went up, I was like, hi. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's very if, young. If, Three is young. 
It is. I mean, maybe I was four by the time we were on stage, but it was. It was like it was just one of those tiny tot classes, and it like it meant it kind of meant nothing. I mean, my mom always wanted to be a dancer, but her parents like didn't have the means, so she kind of gave me the opportunity that she didn't have. Um, so dancing was actually how it all started, and I was I was super super shy, like like painfully shy growing up, and the dancing was kind of the thing that helped bring me out of my shell. Like mostly because I had a teacher who was so scary, like she would scream at us like be like smile give us more personality and I was like okay um but eventually <laughs> like and she threw things as well but like we won't go into that um but yeah that eventually kind of pulled me out of my shell and I realized that I did enjoy dancing and then she also this scary teacher too told me one day like I'd, I'd already learned all of the different kinds of dance routines that you have to do in, an, in a, um, a competition a dance competition and the only ones left were song and dances and I'd never sung before and she was like like, so it's time to do your first song and dance routine. And I was like, oh, no. I think I was about 10, maybe 11. And um, once I started singing, even though, I was again, I was terrified of her and I was terrified of singing, she went out and told my mom afterwards, she was like, she's got she's got lungs I think she's uh she's gonna be a good singer so I I got put in singing lessons but they didn't go so well um there was like this very eccentric scary um singing teacher called Yoland at our dance studio who taught like a very classical style but very like warbly style of singing and again she terrified me but I think everyone terrified me because I was I was so shy but I did I think I don't know if it was one or two lessons with her and she I didn't find out for years down the track that she went out and told my mom she was like so you need to know that your daughter is tone deaf and it would be better for everybody if you just stopped the lessons because I can't help her. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. So my mom, bless her, knowing that the, the news would have crushed me, decided not to take me out of, like, just not to tell me at all. I think I did another one or two lessons with this strange woman and she just was like, you know what, let's just not mention that for the time being. And I ended up, a few years later, I ended up auditioning for like an amateur production of a chorus line where I obviously had to sing for real. So I got a another singing teacher who was a lot nicer and she was like you have great like you have great potential like you've got a great voice and I ended up getting into that musical and then that kind of like began my like few year stint of doing some like amateur and pro amateur musicals and and that's when I like started getting a lot more seriously into acting training and singing training and and eventually my mom finally told me <laughs> what she did. Your mom really me. had your back there. <laughs> she did, but she just knew, like, she's like, what's the point? Like, what is the point of telling her right now? It's just going to crush her soul and she'll probably never try anything new ever again, which is, which is true. Like I wouldn't have, cause I was, I'm, I was, and I still am a very sensitive person. So yeah, eventually that just led to me going, Hmm. Like I, I think I remember seeing a, a Broadway show, um, for my, the very first time when I was about 15 or 14. And when I saw that, I just was like, this is what I have to do. Like, this is going to be my job. And I just, that was it. Like, I was just convinced. And so I spent the next couple of years, like, doing more training, doing a, a few more shows. But I also saw that you're gonna, I was going to reach this point where I couldn't just keep getting the the lead role in the, the local, you know, in the amateur productions because it, that's just an ego thing. Like, that, it makes you feel good, but it's not leading anywhere. And I saw that I'd have to get to the point where I needed to actually audition for the real thing um you know and and risk massive rejection and um yeah but i 
you know, I just was like, that's fine. It's, it's worth it. I can do this. And I think it like the first step, I actually ended up getting a job at Warner Brothers Movie World. Um, firstly, operating the rides because that was all the only job they had going. So that was our like local theme park. Um, but all because I knew I wanted to play Marilyn um, at the theme park, like a, the Marilyn Monroe impersonator that they had there. Um, well, you knew so that's the, the character you wanted. Like, I mean, that that's the role you wanted. <laughs> yeah, well, it was like pretty much the only female character that sang at, in, the, in the theme park. And, you oh, know, okay. a few, like a few well-known Aussies had gone off and done, like played Marilyn and then had gone to Hollywood and things. So it was just like living where I did, there were very few performing like professional um, opportunities for, for, you know, theater performers. So it was just like the ne- next um, natural step. So yeah, I got a job at Movie World. I think I operated rides for like six months before they finally put up the audition notices for Marilyn. And then I got the role of Marilyn. I mean, there were like six of us, like there were a lot of Marilyns because obviously they can't <laughs> have the same person doing it all day, every day for, you know, in all of eternity. And then while I was there, that's actually where I met my ex-husband who I ended up putting me in touch with his agent. Um, and that is how I got my first like professional acting agent when I was like an, you know, adult um because i'd had one when i was a kid and yeah and then that led like my first big audition with the agent was for jersey boys and i was going along just for experience and then (laughs) six months and five auditions later i ended up getting the offer and i was like whoa like i did this was not the plan like i just thought this is the first audition of many (laughs) but it was obviously it was like the right show at the right time and i was prepared for it so it happened but yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> 14, 15, you said you saw your first Broadway show. Were you still a real shy kid then? I mean, um, I was coming the- out of my shell. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I think I knew how to turn it on for the stage by this point because I'd done a couple of amateur musicals. So like I was known as the one with all the personality on stage, but I was still sort of battling with sensitivity and like insecurity off stage. Um, so yeah, I think I just, I learned, I don't want to say like learned to be an extrovert. I learned to be outgoing as like a skill set. Um, and it's something I've kept with me, but I'm, I'm still an introvert, even though I know how to be bubbly and like to be a performer when I need to be. Is the stage kind of where you, like, is it a creative outlet where you enjoy being an extrovert for, for a couple hours or at least, you know, giving the appearance of that? Like, I, it's because it, I wonder, because, you know, someone who's shy and kind of maybe prefer, you know, they recharge their batteries being more alone. It, it's interesting that you, you know, find joy being on stage then, you know, what I mean, not only with your cast members, but with the whole audience watching you. Yeah, I think, I mean, part of it's the adrenaline rush. Like, there is nothing like live performance to be like, oh, anything could happen tonight. So, I do love that element of acting that it's it's always a little bit fresh because everyone else in the show is obviously doing it differently, slightly each night too. But yeah, I mean, acting in general, and I think like it's why so many introverts are drawn to being actors is that you kind of get permission to just be anyone for a while and do crazy things, you know, that you would never do, say things you would never say, hold yourself in a way that you wouldn't normally. So it is like, it's kind of, I don't know, it's like cathartic almost. Like you do this thing and you're like yeah. processing stuff and then you get to go home and be like, okay, I'm curling up in my in my tracksuit now and I'm just going <laughs> to recover. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. It's like it's not the same as the kind of like as an extrovert or an introvert when you're just like interacting with normal humans in a like normal setting where it's real interaction, not scripted. 
I find that the energy exchange is is one thing, whereas when you're performing, it's like you switch into a completely different mode and it doesn't apply, if that makes sense. Like you're just kind of like you find this different power source and it, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't drain me in that same way. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that... Is that in part because the, it, I mean, it is truly a scripted scenario. So is it because, you know, it's a, I don't know the word for it. I mean, we're constructing the scenario that we're now asking you to kind of bring to life. So is it in your mind, maybe you just isolate it as a, a separate thing? Yeah, I think that's it. Like you you put on it like a mask and you're like, okay, I can do this thing and I'm, yeah, I'm protected yeah. now and you know what to expect. I think a lot of the time that in the interaction we have day to day, we don't know what people are going to say or how they're going to make us feel. So we're a bit more vulnerable to what's going on. But when you hop on stage, you're going to go on set. Um, you know, you kind of have some expectations about how it's going to go and, and what's going to happen to your character. So it's not you that's being drained in the same way as much as it can definitely be a very emotional experience in some Sometimes, like if you are, you know, doing a scene that's very traumatic, you can get home and be like, "Oof, I like, I need some time to, to, you know, process all of that emotion that came up." Um, and same, like if you're going to do um, comedy, it's so high energy that often it drains you in a different way, just because you have to put so much into that performance and and like the energy and the timing and everything. But it still doesn't feel dangerous to me. Like it's my safe space to go process emotion, whereas in real life, it's a totally different story. Is uh, you've done some movies and, and TV shows too. Is that a different experience for you than doing live musical theater? Yeah, I mean, my experience is kind of different anyway because I've not. I mean, as much as I've done like short films and things as a lead character, it's like the roles that I've played in um, on stage have been so different to like the the small parts that I'm playing in like in a big TV show. It's a lot more. You feel a lot more disconnected from the story sometimes because it is, it's broken up into such tiny little chunks and it's usually shot out of order. You don't know which take they're going to use. Like you just, you feel a little bit more like it's, it's, yeah, you, you just feel like this pawn that's just been dumped to do, like just do that thing and then go sit in the thing and wait. Whereas on stage, like once the curtain goes up, it's on you to, to like, to basically take people on that entire arc of the story um and so i like i've heard you know people describe it before how um like in theater the actor is actually on the night they're kind of the director and the editor and the cinematographer because we have control about how people are perceiving the story whereas uh, on you know on a set yeah like it made sense to me i was like oh that's what's different and so yeah as a as a screen actor you deliver everything you possibly can but you don't have control over how the story will end up coming across on on screen like they could completely change the editing and the way they shoot it could make you look totally different um and they could rearrange it so that like the story that you thought you were telling it it doesn't end up coming out that way which is kind of scary because as a control freak i'm like (laughs) oh i want to know what it's gonna look like but you can't and you, I mean, theoretically, you could also end up on the cutting room, cutting room floor, and not even be in the final production. I mean, oh, exactly. Then obviously like, that... That's a whole nother story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the risks. Every time you have a character, especially one that doesn't have a real name, you're like, oh, let's let's wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the flag. If they don't have a real name, you're like, <laughs> yeah, they're probably expendable. But yeah, you never know. Like, usually, you're there for a reason, but sometimes they just see that the entire scene is just not necessary, so you could be gone. Oh, that's terrible. I I love (laughs) movies, um, but I also love live um, musical theater, especially musicals. And from the audience point of view, from me sitting in the audience, there is nothing like 
like I love movies, but it's a different energy. And maybe you experience this on stage too. But like when I am in the audience of a like Wicked, I've seen a million times. I just think of that right away. Yeah. And I, I, have you seen Wicked? I would yes. imagine, but yeah. I want to assume. Okay. <laughs> that end of the first act where she is going up in the air and it's defying mm-hmm. gravity. I, that is like the it, the ultimate moment for me. Just, I mean, and I, it, there's something to everyone being there together. Now we're all not like singing yes. together or anything, but like, and just that live, like you said, there's something about the live on stage. Like I know there's humans right here. Mm-hmm. They're not perfect. They're delivering this story. I don't know. And uh, do you experience, does that translate to on stage too? Even as you're like describing it, I'm getting goosebumps because that is the different experience of theater. It's just like you are feeding off live energy that's happening in that moment. And it's some of it comes from the actors. Some of it comes from the people sitting next to you. Whereas it's just like a movie is just kind of handed to you already ready to go. And there is this level of, of disconnect. Like sometimes with an amazing performance, I'll still cry with them or like it's all about trying to, you know, like you're always seeing your own you know yourself in those characters and so often we do still experience our own emotions based on how we feel about the situation but in theater we are actually feeling the real energy and emotion of what's going on on stage in real time and you know that anything could happen that anything could go wrong you know that that like blood sweat and tears are pretty much on the stage so yeah you you can't really compare the two they're just like two separate art forms and both are incredible but performing live is something I I haven't done in a very long time and I I really do miss it it's just that trying to find a show that I could do that you know isn't going to go for an entire year and make me do 450 performances so that by the time it closes I'm actually bored out of my brain (laughs) (laughs) it sounds terrible but (laughs) no no I get that like I said I, I can't fathom doing 450 performances and, and and like i said and you said i mean the the point is obviously they're going to end up being slightly different each time but your goal is to make them exactly the same every time so yeah no i totally get that so this um the personal branding project so what what kind of inspired this i find this so interesting where you're you know kind of helping people online now with their careers and kind of I, I'm figuring out in my mind, like, where was the jump from this this amazing energy performing on stage? And then how did you venture into this area? Yeah, it was one of those gradual things as well. But I guess there are a few there are a few key moments. And I mean, when I look back, I don't this is probably a subconscious thing, but getting the roles in those original shows was the first time I realized, like, you're just another number. Like if you, they just, especially in musical theater, like you're very much feeling a lot of the time in Australia, it's a production that's already been on in Broadway. They're looking to find someone really similar to the person who already played it on Broadway. And you're just filling that role and just fit in, just do what you're told. And except usually for maybe the the couple of stars in the show that are already well known, you have no pull power, like you could easily get replaced. And so that was a bit of like a, hmm, okay, so what do I do with this information? Like essentially as an actor, you're only as good as the show that you're currently in, um, you know, and so that was one thing. And then when I took a break, when like we talked about that like six years ago and I had a bit like my quarter life crisis, I ended up writing and producing a live show, um, like a cabaret show while I was back on the Gold Coast again, which is where like, you know, performers go to die because there's, there's so little opportunity there. And I was like, <laughs> I need to do something so that I keep myself sane and to try and maybe generate some work here and everything. So I, yeah, I created this show and it was interesting because the character ended up becoming 
like I was playing the main character and she ended up becoming like an alter ego to me. And it started to kind of like just it, it just like got my interest a little bit more about branding and marketing because I was creating a lot of the the materials in her voice, like in first person. Like if I was writing an email, I wrote it from her. And I so again, that was just like another little seed that was planted where I was like, this is interesting. This is fun. Um, and then I guess over the next few years, I got, I mean, I just got into, like, I was literally taking a day job to just survive. I ended up working in real estate and then I ended up meeting my, my partner who I'm with today, who was in marketing and it sort of made me realize that I, I was definitely interested in marketing, needed to do something there. So ended up working a bunch of jobs before I became self-employed. And it's like, so that's kind of how I supported myself for the last five years was as a copywriter and, and brand or marketing strategist. Um, but a couple of years ago, I'd read the Gary Vaynerchuk book, Crushing It, which is the one where he talks a lot about social media, but also like personal branding and building a platform. Cause that's obviously like, that's how he got his start. Like he started his YouTube channel, which is all about wine <laughs> and we know to support his parents' wine business. And yes, it grew the business, but it also put him on the map and helped him like find a voice and find an audience. And it, it sort of led to all these other things that have happened for him. And I, when I was reading that, I was like, that's it. I need a platform. Like I need people to get to know me and not just the role that I happened to be playing at the time. So I decided to launch a YouTube channel. Um, it was like two and a bit years ago. And that was, I didn't really know what I was doing with it, but I just knew I needed to create a platform. And like, that's sometimes how life works. Like you just like, you don't know exactly where you're going with this thing or how it's going to work, but you just know you have to do something. So I launched it originally for actors. Like I was wanting to just share my own experiences in the industry especially just talking about the actual mindset and business side of acting because I just found that most acting schools and dance schools, and they're teaching you the skill of acting and maybe auditioning. But beyond that, they don't tell you how to survive as an actor and the realities of what happens between jobs and all of that. So that was my kind of in to the YouTube channel and, and to sort of personal branding. But then it has started to evolve where I saw that all of these skills that I had and the people that I was helping, there was like a lot in common with all of those things. And so I ended up launching my first online course, which actually wasn't to do with branding. It was to do with makeup, but it was me again, just trying to create like a product-based business where it wasn't just me writing copy for someone, but creating something that was mine that taught people. And I sort of did that as a bit of an experiment and like it kind of flopped um, in like it did not live up to my own expectations. But in that whole process, even though I wasn't happy with the result of the launch, everyone that was following it were like, wow, like you really know branding. <laughs> like you have done a really good job of this launch. You obviously know what you're talking about. Like, and it seemed like people were more interested in learning about that from me than makeup. So it just kind of was like a happy accident that I was like, maybe I should make this official, like kind of pull together the YouTube and like the teaching aspect, the the copywriting, but also start helping not just actors, but anyone that really is wanting to build a personal brand. And so I ended up launching the personal branding project just in um, September last year, along with the the podcast as well. And it just was like everything clicked in that moment, like all of the random things that I've been doing for the last 10 years, suddenly I was able to pull them into one place and use my experiences and my knowledge for good. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really exciting and, and people just responded so well to it. And it's, it's kind of just going from strength to strength now, like it's still such early days and I have all the ideas and there's only one of me. <laughs> 
Um, but it's off to a really good start and it's just, it definitely feels like I've finally found my sweet spot of like, and it, it feels more like purpose driven than like the acting is something that for me, I'll always want to do. Like I'm never getting over the acting thing. I've tried, I've tried to quit because I was like, it's probably more <laughs> it trouble than it's back. worth. But I'm like, no, I need this. However, when I'm not acting, which is most of the time, because for most actors, you're not on set most of the year. Like I finally have this thing that like gives me purpose and excitement and joy and challenges me and is creative and and all of that so yeah it's like selfishly it's good for me but it's also it means I can help like a lot of people now in a way that I couldn't help them before oh it's fantastic and it seems so natural too I mean hearing you describe this I can see after everything we've talked about where you've led yourself to this point I mean you an actor is a, a great example of someone who's living a personal brand and whose personal brand dictates their survival in the profession so, I mean, I can totally see how you've, you know, kind of risen up to this point and where you feel comfortable here because it's everything you've done and known. Yeah, for sure. But it, it definitely happened so much by accident. And I think the thing with personal branding is so many people assume that, oh, you end up with a personal brand once you're famous. Like, and that's kind of how, especially like for actors and celebrities and things, it's like, oh yeah, of course they have a personal brand. Like they're in all these movies or they have all of these albums. But what I'm really trying to show people is that like, if you can build a personal brand before those opportunities come, you're going to have more power, like to actually make the right decisions that grow your career faster, that open up doors that wouldn't have opened up otherwise um and then obviously for business owners it's it's the exact same thing like it's such a competitive space especially like running an online business because you can always google like you know whatever service provider on google and there's going to be like millions of results and so the question is like when you can line up so many options like what is going to determine who chooses who, you know, to work with. And I've really seen that people want to work with a person. They don't want to just work with like someone who's hiding behind a website. And um, yeah, having a personal brand means that you can actually charge, you know, premium prices and, you know, like kind of stay true to what it is that you want to do and not have the haggling and the, you know, people going, oh, I'm just going to shop around because if they really fall in love with you and they feel so connected to you and that they trust you, then they're going to just want to work with you no matter what. So that was kind of my, yeah, like that's kind of how the two side, like the acting versus the entrepreneurs kind of come together and, and have the same need for this kind of thing. I th yeah, I think that's so true. The, I, I'm thinking of, uh, you hear this advice all the time or this practice all the time in the tech world, but that you know investors are investing in the founder, not the idea. They're investing in that person that they believe in and they trust. And yeah, I mean, they might not call it personal brand, but that's who they are as a person is consciously and subconsciously playing into all those decisions. I also think about, you mentioned like, if you have your personal brand before you, you know, you're famous or you've reached your goal or whatever, that you could open up opportunities along the way. I'm thinking of just randomly, I was playing around with LinkedIn recently. And, you know, once you start playing around with, they give you some tools to put in like your title or your kind of tagline and things like that, or recent jobs and stuff, depending on what you put in there and change, they will then start targeting those sorts of opportunities to you. So it's kind of that same idea. Whereas if you, you know, if you start to establish yourself in all these ways as what you want to be, then opportunities are more likely to come your way. So I, I totally get that. 
Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, being proactive, it's such a big thing. Like I, and I saw just how much I let happen kind of by accident. And I'm glad I got there eventually. But now my job is like, okay, don't take as long as I did because I see that just by putting yourself out there, creating some content, like it's so easy to establish yourself as that go to person. And it's just incredible. It's all about how people perceive you. So if you put yourself out there in a way that is confident and trustworthy and everything, like it's just crazy how people will find you and be like, oh, can you talk to us about this thing? And Isn't that if you amazing? Just, it's yeah, all about it's, perception. Yeah. Like it's, that fascinates I mean, it's, me. It's a double-edged sword. Like, but, So that's why we have to be intentional because we could yeah. be giving off these signals that are completely giving out the wrong message um, to our audience or just keeping us hidden which is why we have to sort of think about what, what we're putting out there right now and and make sure it's something that is heading you in the right direction to where you want to go. I think it's important or it's um it's hard sometimes. Like, so myself, I'm someone who like, I've always been a curious person. I, I question things, you know, whether to someone's face or just in my head, like when I'm researching something. And so, you know, I might look at someone who's, you know, an expert in the field and I might just because of who I am be a little more naturally skeptical. You know, I might dig more into like their credentials and in in the media publications they've been publishing. And really, you know, in my mind, I got to establish more of a um, reputation for them. But someone else might come along and just based on their credentials and their brand and everything, be like, okay, they're the expert to talk to. It's hard for me to you know think of to realize that on the flip side, like when I want to establish my brand. To just understand that not everyone's going to come at it as, you know, critical as you are. Like, they're going to trust that based on what you've laid out in front of them, you have what they need and you have the experience. And so, like you said, it's, it's, I don't like saying this, but it's, sometimes it's easier than we realize to, to get ourselves out there for these opportunities. Oh, for sure. And, I, and I've heard some people say before, like, they thought that branding was more of an art than a science. And I was like, yeah, I have to disagree with that. Like as much as there is elements of artistic work that is involved, you know, and being creative when it comes to branding, it's, there is an actual formula to it. Like, like our audience needs to see certain things from us to know us, to like us, to trust us and to think of us when they, they're looking for that, that person in that space. And if you can follow that, I mean, I I literally created like a framework around this because I wanted to show that it is repeatable. Like it's not just like people that have great charisma or happen to land on this crazy opportunity early on that are going to be the ones that succeed. Like you can build it from nothing. And it's not rocket science. It's just repetition. Like you have to be very intentional and strategic and then you have to be consistent and it's going to take off at a different time for everybody because sometimes you do get that one opportunity that just speeds everything up. But I think the people that were going to make it, they're going to make it whether they land that crazy big break or they just keep slogging away week after week. Consistency. That's I'm the huge believer in consistency. Like no matter what, I feel like if all else fails, consistency will get you most of the way there. Absolutely. I mean, as long as you sort of know where there is, because obviously we need to be heading in some yeah. <laughs> sort of direction and then like course correcting. But yeah, I mean, I love um, I love the book, The Slight Edge um, and Atomic Habits. And they both talk about like this 1% rule where if you just keep every single day showing up and doing that 1% activity that's going to get you that tiny bit closer to your goal, 
you start to build compound interest in time. And so eventually that curve is going to increase. It's not going to just be like slogging away day after day, not seeing results. I saw it happen with my my YouTube channel. If I look at my analytics, I can literally see the compound interest in the graph where it's like quite a slight curve and then suddenly it starts to increase. And I was like, wow, if I hadn't shown up day after day for two years, I wouldn't have seen these results. Um, and that's what most people, that's where most people give up is that they don't see the, the curve increasing fast enough. So they're like, oh, what's the point? But yeah, you, it will increase eventually as long as you keep doing the thing and you're doing the right thing. Obviously, we need to learn from our mistakes. We need to figure out if what we're putting out there is actually the right thing that our audience needs to see from us. So one of the things I saw, you had, um, you posted on Instagram near the end of 2019. Uh, so last year, and you had this this post kind of about all the different um, things happening in your life in that year. And at the end of the post, you wrote, while all of that didn't get in the way of me kicking some major career and business goals in the last year, it did get in the way of my health, mental, mental and physical and relationships. I'm not saying I have any regrets. I did what I believed to at the, to, yeah, I did what I believed I had to at the time. Um, that just struck me as such a, a strong kind of reflection of, of that year. And I'm, I'm curious, like, was 2019, for me, I feel like 2019 was a very transformational year. Um, and I feel like I've heard that from others. I'm not necessarily one for astrology, but maybe it was a year for all of us. Uh, was it that kind of year for you too? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was. I planted a lot of seeds last year, but I did get to see a lot of them starting to sort of take root, I guess, during the year. And there was a lot of change. I mean, I went from having one kind of business to a different kind of business to a different kind of business again, and it all sort of like started to fall into place again. But I do think over, especially over the last two years, a lot of things have just been sinking into place, like understanding of myself, understanding of relationships and, and people. And, you know, a lot of that stuff, I started working with um, a coach, like we don't actually work together anymore, but I had like, a, I think 12 months of working with a very holistic type, like life and business coach. And some of the tools and things that I was taught while working with him, like, yes, you see immediate results, but if you keep doing that work, like once your awareness is raised about certain things, it's just amazing how it just keeps to pay off and you start I don't know. I feel like I'm figuring things out quicker. I'm catching myself before I let things get out of control. Like in the past, I feel like I was a little bit too too much of a victim, I'll say it, <laughs> where things weren't going well. And I just let myself sit with that feeling for a really long time and, and felt sorry for myself. And I, and I didn't take action. Whereas now, as soon as I'm feeling off about anything, I'm, I'm just like, okay, why am I feeling this way? How can I fix it? How can I move forward? And everything happens so much quicker. So I feel like 2019 allowed me to make so many dramatic changes in my life and see so many Im improvements in my business and everything because there was no sitting in my, you know, yes, you've got to feel your feelings, but you don't need to sit in them. <laughs> and so I got good at journaling and identifying like weird feelings. And, and, and if anxiety came up, like I've learned to go, oh, my body's telling me something needs to change. So I'll quickly pull out my journal and be like, what, why am I feeling this way? Instead of just letting two years go by battling anxiety attacks like I did back in the day. 
day and waiting that long to realize I'm not happy in this job. I'm not happy in this relationship. Like it's, um, yeah, I feel like I'm quite a different person to what I was like six years ago because of all of this self-awareness. Oh, that's so great to hear. It feels like based on what you said that you were just so present last year, like for yourself, like present. I think about that in terms of like you said, when, when you're experimenting or recognizing something or emotion or an action in your life, like being present enough to quickly or semi quickly react to it and change something. And like you said, not become stagnant and let so long pass by before taking action. Yeah. And like one of the huge realizations that, I mean, I feel like it's people have been like, this message has been trying to come through to me for a few years, but it's like, I finally got it. If I'm not feeling good, it's a result of the thoughts that I'm having. And the thoughts that I have are a choice. So like once I started to go, hold on, so I can go back, rewrite the thought, therefore I'm going to feel better. Therefore I'm going to do something differently. Therefore there's going to be a different result. I was like, possibilities are endless. But before it really just felt like, oh, well, my circumstances suck. Like, and that's just it. Or I can't help if I feel anxiety. No, actually I can. This is not to discount serious mental illness and chemical imbalances. Like I I knew that what I was going through was caused by my thoughts. Like I knew I planted all of these negative seeds in the past and I had to one by one pull them out, kind of go, right, that was a belief that I had it's not true. It's not serving me. What can I replace it with? And that kind of work, which is something that's hard to like, it's not tangible. Like, so, you know, a lot of people don't do it because they're like, how do I track this? Like, what even is this? But that is probably the best investment I've ever made in myself is to really figuring that out and then doing the work to sit down and just like journal it out, (laughs) which, you know, is like me going to battle, but you know, for someone else, they're like, oh, journaling is like so woo woo. And so like, whatever. I'm like, no, like this is like the tough work and this is what's going to help make me millions of dollars and achieve all my dreams. (laughs) So. I feel like journaling, because even when I hear journaling, I feel like it gets a bad rap, but then I remember I'm like, journaling is just the act of writing things down and and I've seen them with myself. I mean, I'm sure we all have. When you start writing things down, it changes so much your perspective of whatever it is you're writing down. I mean, there's been studies obviously that you can learn things better by writing them down, but um it's yeah, I, so I I totally like I don't personally keep a journal um but you know, from time to time writing things down in whatever form it, it makes a world of a difference. So maybe I would benefit from doing a journal actually. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I think it's that we also see it as like a dear diary. Today I did this thing, which I don't find helpful like at all. (laughs) You know, I've done it before and I'm like, this is neutral. Like I'm literally, like I'm not moving through any thoughts or feelings. Like I'm just, it's like just a a thought dump, like or a memory dump. Um, Whereas like, I think there's a couple of different ways. Like I, I, one kind of journaling, I guess that's really helped is like the actual thought download, which I've been taught to do where if everything is swirling around in your head and you have all of these ideas, but you're feeling very paralyzed of like, what do I do next? How do I know what's a good idea? Literally force yourself to put every single thing on paper so that your brain can have a break. And then you can actually on paper start to categorize things and go, what do I actually care about? What don't I care about? Like, what should I be doing first? Um, and then there's like the sort of like transformational journaling where where you actually start to sort of speak to your future self, like where it's, you know, 
whether it's you being grateful for the things that you have already achieved or the things you're in pro, you know, you are wanting to achieve and really like all of the positive stuff. Because I found that like even just like writing down some affirmations or the things that excite me about the future, I start to feel different as I do that. And it gives me this energy to then for the rest of the, the day, make sure I actually take the actions that are going to, that are going to help me get to that point where I achieve these things. Um, so I'm usually trying to make sure it's like, instead of like, I feel bad today. <laughs> um, cause you can easily just sit in again in negative thoughts and feelings when you're just like, having a bit of a vent about how you're feeling. But if you can say, okay, I'm having this weird feeling about this thing. I think it's because of this. And you can sort of do like a free write exercise of just like to try and figure out what's really bothering you under the surface. But then obviously the next step is not just to like feel bad about it, to be like, so how can I fix this or how can I remove it? Um, And then that's a little bit more productive. So like there's so many different ways to do it. I think it's like whatever feels good to you and, you know, it's different for me every time I do it. And I don't always do it. Um, But I start to notice if I've had a long gap of not journaling, I do start to notice some of the the thoughts like slipping back into my brain that are just not helpful and I'm just less productive and less clear on everything. I love that you you sort of you sort of acknowledge that like it's a tool that works well for you and there might be other tools for other people and it's like you said a matter of kind of doing the work to find find what works for you. Um you you mentioned kind of finding yourself more or getting to know yourself better last year, you know, and I mentioned that Instagram post. Um, and kind of becoming more, I think, in sync with yourself. Like what were, what were some of the things you kind of learned about yourself during that time? I mean, I think a lot of it is to do with being able to disconnect from titles and start to be like, see your own value when you're not in a job. Like that was a big one, which again, it's like something that's so hard to even explain, but to know your worth beyond the thing that you do, um, and see that, you know, you have value in just being. I think um, that's such a, a common one. Like, I feel like we are so tied to our professions in today's society. Like the first thing you ask someone is like, what do you do? And then I don't, I don't know if you ever watch reality TV, but any reality television show you watch, you're going to see the person's name, their age and their occupation. And like you said, it's like, well, okay, if I'm not a construction worker, then I'm just Tim. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And no, it, I totally like, it get that. Mess with you. Like, we need, like, we love labels. Like, and we need something to hang on to. And but it was like my coach a couple of years ago who started being like, so if you're not an actor, like, who are you? And like, kept peeling back these layers, and it was very upsetting at the time because, like, I don't know who I am. Yeah. Um, because I really, I did see that so much of my value came from the things that I did really well. Um, but I think. In building better relationships, like connecting with friends in a more meaningful way and just like helping people for the sake of helping people, not necessarily because, you know, they're paying you or anything like that. Those moments where you're like, oh, maybe I do have like other value beyond what I'm saying that I do as a job that can help. But just, I mean, and one of the the big battles that I've had has been around the battle with how old I am versus like how old that really makes you in the industry, like as an actor and always feeling like the clock is ticking. And so part of my journey has been to find other things that light me up and that excite me so that I'm not watching the clock when I'm not on set. And I can actually just relax and trust that 
I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I'm doing good work. I love what I do. I love the way I spend my day. And if I act, that's great. But I'm not waiting on someone to give me a role that's suddenly going to make me feel like I'm worthy of, of, of everything else in life. Like knowing that I'm worthy before I've been given it. Um, just because I'm a human, <laughs> which is like a really hard thing to come to terms with for most of us, I think. Absolutely. I really think it is. It's, I think, like I said, that drives, I think it drives it home for all of us. We're so tied to that. And I love what you said about like figuring out, you know, what is my self-worth? What is, who am I, you know, without that, that occupation or that role or that title? That's, and that's great for you. I'm, I'm so glad, you know, cause especially I hear that all the time from actors, you know, the, the, the age thing. And, and that's so, I don't know. It's so unfortunate that you have to feel that, especially then, I mean, if you're really tied into I'm an actor and now I feel like my entire livelihood, I'm getting, you know, older as we all do, uh, whether I wish I could stop it, but, <laughs> and, you know, you feel like, okay, now, you know, what's my worth if I'm whatever is considered too old for acting now, you know? So I'm glad that you've been able to kind of uh, reconcile that with yourself and, and find these other things. Yeah, I think, I mean, with everyone, like it ebbs and flows, like you have times where you're like, you battle it a little bit more and you get a, a moment of panic of like, I'm not doing enough. And, but thankfully, because of like the tools that I'm learning about myself and, and thoughts and feelings, I'm like, hold on, like, you need to rein this in because this isn't productive. Like you feeling like this is not going to do anything good for you or anyone around you. And yeah, I'm just learning to like, okay, I'm going to process and then I'm going to move on and, and remember that because like, I, I think there is like very much you see that there are these traditional paths of achieving what you want, you know, in life where it's like if you happen to have this break at this age and then you have this and then this or you happen to be born in the right location or into, you know, a certain amount of money, you can see other people that have had that path and you're like, oh, well, I didn't have that. So how am I going to get where I want to get? But I have to remind myself that a lot of what I've achieved, in fact, basically everything I've ever achieved in my life, I've not gone the traditional path. Like I, I was homeschooled. I never, st I've never, like I didn't finish high school. I haven't been to college and yet I figured all of this stuff out as I went along. And I was like, well, if I can do it for that, surely I can do it for acting. And it doesn't matter that I've not had the break that I wanted at a certain age, because if I really want to make this happen, it will happen eventually, even if I have to create the role for myself or make sure that like, you know, I blow up my YouTube channel so that I become more, you know, in demand. Like I see like now I'm always like, okay, if I can't get this this way, what's the other option? Um, like, how is this going to happen for me? And it's now I see it as more exciting and a challenge um, as opposed to being like depressing and, and limiting. <laughs> so it's important that I have that. Yeah, I like that idea of looking at it differently. Like, uh, that's a good point. I mean, there's always ways. I feel like that, you know, you know, and you have a podcast too. You look at the, you know, looking at stats about downloads and, you know, progression and growth and, and with anything. But and yeah, like you said, you know, it can be, you can sit there and be like, okay, well maybe, you know, this month wasn't the goal I wanted to hit and, and dwell on it. Or you can look ahead. It's like, okay, what can I do for next month to, to crush it and, you know, double it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so many things that I ended up doing or getting or, you know, achieving 
they happened in the process of me not achieving the original thing that I wanted, <laughs> which is interesting. Like often it's like right after a big failure or disappointment that I've ended up having my big epiphany and being like, hold on. It's because that wasn't supposed to be the thing that I did. I should do this. Like I've had, you know, opportunities with acting where I was so close to landing something that at the time I thought was the be all and end all. And when I didn't get it, I was crushed. And then I can like 12 months later, I look back and I'm like, whoa, like if you'd gotten that role, you wouldn't have done this and this and this and this and this. And I would actually prefer the thing that did happen as opposed to the thing that I missed out on. So there is part of that is just like blind faith of going, you know, good things can happen. And we don't always, sometimes we limit ourselves. Like the the dreams that I've had for myself were actually not as cool as the things that accidentally happened. So it's like, we're almost not quite creative enough or capable of actually realizing what we are fully capable of, you know, doing and achieving and, and feeling in our lives. So yeah, once you can just like get over yourself and your ego that, cause your ego thinks that it knows what's best for you, <laughs> then you can start it's living true. your life <laughs> <laughs> and just like saying yes and going for things and not letting those like hiccups along the way get you down. Um, because there's always something on the, you know, just over that little, you know, the hiccup or speed bump or failure, whatever you want to call it. There's always something on the other side. And, and, you know, you, you can make sure that it's amazing. And I think that accidental path that you described, that's just, that's just life. I mean, I don't think there's any way to avoid that. And I love, I'm with you. I embrace that. I think that's, that's the beauty of it all, right? Is that to some extent, you can do all sorts of um, orchestrated work to make what you want happen, actually happen. But to some extent, anything's going to happen whether you like it or not. And you could kind of grab those opportunities or twists in the path and, and run with it. I like that. And again, if you know that your feelings are controlled by your thoughts, then like you actually never have to feel bad about the thing that happened. Like there is a way of reframing it so that you can make sure it's positive. And even though it's not the thing that you wanted to make happen, you can be like, okay, I'm going to make myself feel good about this and I'm going to turn it into something that leads to the next thing. So yeah, like that's where I, you know, <laughs> I look back on myself and I'm just like, damn, why did you spend so long feeling resentful about these things that did or didn't happen to you when you could have just like gotten over yourself and just pushed forward and, and started creating opportunities for yourself because they're, they're out there to be had. Uh, reframing. I love that. That's, that's my big takeaway here is I, myself, I, I've definitely done that more nowadays, but I think that's something I could continue to work on. And we all could is reframing it to something positive. It's kind of a muscle, I think, like just like discipline. Like yeah, I just, yeah. like, you know, every time I get stuck in that feeling now, I'm just like, whoa, whoa, it's time for a reframe. But I had to train myself to get that good at noticing when I needed one. And now it's a lot easier. Yeah, a lot of practice. It all needs practice, turns out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, Kat, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat today. And uh, this has been such a fantastic conversation. And I wish, I'm so happy for you and all you're doing. And I can't wait to see, you know, where the personal branding project goes and that you get to continue your acting career and just all great things. I'm so happy for you. And oh, maybe you'll get another chance to do the whip, crack, uh, whip cracking. I hope if I could say that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Never know. Yeah, there might be that role that's just waiting for me. I can finally yeah. be like, guess what? I already know how to do it. <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time. This has been great. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. 
Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, rate and review us, and share this episode with a friend. Thanks.